I do remember like Detroit like break break down and testify and all of that stuff. Uh, I bet you that was just like. See, I'm from a uh, Detroit, so already we got we got the Beatles banging, we got the MC Five banging, we got uh whatever's on that channel. We had CKLW, whatever's on that channel. And we had Motown, which is like an array of things. They're like not, everybody's not like the regular, you put five guys in a suit and they all just kind of stand there and do their thing. We had Temptations was a thing and Four Tops was a thing and Stevie Wonder was a thing and, you know, Marvin Gaye was a thing. And for me to also, my, uh, I had the fever early, dude. My, uh, it's like, yeah, when I think about it, I think, I don't know for sure, but it, when I try to think about it, just maybe, you know, when your, your parents are like arguing with each other. So like you, my mother would want to like ready to get away. She, I just remember she was just like, come on, Michael, let's go. And we end up at the Fox Theater watching every one of those bands, what every one of those groups, uh, Willie Tyler and Lester, the puppet thing that was going on. And then you watch, you know, Mary Wells and you watched all this stuff. And I just remember watching it all like this, you know, just like. Like the Apollo or something like that. Yeah, and and uh, and then we come out of the, you know, the whole show's over. I forget who it would be, and it would be like everybody's there waving. It. You saw the big show. Everybody leave the Fox Theater. My mother would say, "Go to the bathroom." So I go to the restroom. She go to the restroom. Everybody pile out. You know, sit on the on the toilet for a minute and wait for the place to replenish with people and then you ease back into the crowd and we will watch it and we would do that four days in a row like and it became a thing for for us like the, after the first time it became a thing like i never missed a year until they stopped of seeing motown acts and it was on fox theater st stage and that's how for me it's kind of like, okay, this is show business. And, you know, uh, my mother, she was a, she was a, um, in the military. So she came back and she was doing broadcasting school. And, you know, they're sitting there doing like the paperwork and read the book. But I'd be sitting at the at the broadcasting school, actually like fumbling around with the bu buttons when I was really young. So I had the fever, man. And uh, how did I hook up with George? Was really just being in that. I, I, what I wanted to be was an engineer. Like after the broadcast thing, I saw that the buttons really was like if you got any common sense, you could work these buttons. So. My my thing was to go down to United Sound. I was like wanting to, to learn engineering. I didn't care who was in the room, you know. 
And uh, this is when I was about 15, 16, and I used to just ride the bus down to the studio to the bus that would go into the front, right, it dropped you off right in the front door. So I'd go there and I'd go to the building and I knew that they would, they would be asking for like tuition and all that kind of stuff. I didn't have that, but I would go and I'd kind of just, ah, ah, you know? And then one day this guy comes out of the building like he's coming out to smoke a cigarette and he goes, when are you going to knock on the door? And I go, uh-huh. And he goes, we watch you through the intercom. We've been laughing, taking bets in the back. And if you're going to have a knock on the door, he goes, I know you, I know you got the, the, the passion for it. And I know you don't have the money, but I'm, I run this place and I ain't, I didn't take class. Come on in. That was Jim Vitti. Yeah. So Jim, Jim Vitti, after a while, he knew I knew how to shut up and shut up and learn. That's if you could shut up and learn and be useful, like coffee. I was a gopher. And after a while, you just kind of learn what the buttons are doing by just laying back and you watching clients. There's different clients, different producers. Uh, I don't get to see Jim Vitti, but honestly, Jim Vitti, Greg Ward, those cats, Acapella was a was a bit of a, a thing because he was dag near my age. So, uh, but the older cats, the older season cats, just like allowed me to come in the room and, you know. By the time I hit like 25, I would have like my friends who were getting ready to get in the business. They already like, they're, they're like, dude, you've been in that room forever. Like we know, everybody in town knows that you go to that room because that was my refuge from like the streets, you know. Uh, you know, why do people do it? Half of it is survival. Like where, wherever you go, where, whatever. Whatever you do and you find it, you may not be saying it to to yourself, but it's a survival thing. It's just like, what's going to like keep me content and out of the the way of um, ruin? You know, yeah, that that's what it was for me, and and. Uh, so George was there, you know, and then George turned out that because I also like when I was younger, I worked at a hotel and the parliament came there. So there was this one point where uh, Glenn Goins and Mudbone, they were there. It's like, a situation happened and I got to meet them, like really meet them. But I knew already, like some of the cats, and I never was putting it all together. And, but people started to call me Glenn's people. That I don't know what, that's Glenn's people. That's Glenn's people. And then 
After a while, Gary Scheider was just like, Glenn's people, you know, you one of the ones. And it was like, wow, one of the ones. And, you know, basically, my job would be like to go and get George some sunflower seeds and eggs and avocado so he could keep his Dr. Funkenstein. And, you know, because everything was like, happening like i listen to a lot of people when they talk they're trying to figure out like in in my time there's always been a roster the roster was almost like you know how you you're looking to see who made the grade it was like that with p-funk it's like each year was a different set of musicians you know i had the honor like working with I, I missed most i mean i missed the ones that are living i missed the ones that passed away in a big way but i missed the ones that are living even worse because they they became comrades for me and we all were in this kind of like one nation spirit and then you know we grow away or we we go and we find our way so everybody's finding their way but I miss them. I gotta say that. Did, Why I'm on your on your show, I want to say if any of y'all there, and that's you know who you are. Yeah. Did, did you ever see the Mothership show uh, before you got involved with? Uh, I was actually working for George when the Mothership show was going on. Like that was my deal in the like I remember going with the the studio staff because we weren't out there like i knew musicians that they came in george put them on tape and they go out and he's like oh is he in the band yeah oh this guy's coming up from memphis or this guy is works for philly soul or and then you know this guy's from from uh you know some rock band and he's gonna overdub thing and i had like the best learn I had the best learning from the best engineers and the best, I got to say that, the very best musical people on the planet because it was United Sound was something else, man. The, the people that were coming through there, like, first of all, the HNIC over there, Don Davis, okay, people don't give enough credit to. But uh, this guy, uh, it's basically, I work for Funkenstein. I had the honor of working for Funkenstein and working for something that would be, you would consider Sir Knows for real. And he had the very best hits. He, you know, he was probably the dopest Negro I ever met, you know. George for for one reason, Sly for the, his reason, Dizzy for his reason, everybody for their reason. I met these people, and but Don Davis was Don Davis was badass. Dude. You have the Don Davis? Not really. Don Davis. Uh, Don Davis was the the guy who 
who ran or owned, he was the big boss of United, sir. And I don't know how, I, who, who was there before him, but I, he's all I ever knew. And this guy, like his songs, the kind of songs he would put out was, I remember, I remember being in the studio and, and being excited because the Funkadelic would in the room and watching them do the session. And then this guy comes out the thing and he says, keep the, put a tape, like they put a cross over the board so nothing changed from what George was producing. And they stick up their own slab on the, on the tape machine. And he tells, he tells the cats, he goes, you guys come back in an hour and we'll be ready to overdub, you know, and we'll have the money, you know. And I watched Funkadelic basically come back and cut all the hip parts on Disco Lady, which is the very first gold record that there was, you know what I mean? Like certified yeah. gold record. And uh, but most people don't know that's Funkadelic back there doing their thing. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't a George Clinton thing. It was a, it was the things thing. I mean, it was George Clinton's thing is that he is, this is his pick of the litter. These people that work for him are his pick of the litter. And, you know, he changes his mind. Um, but, you know, some smart cats, some really smart cats knew that George had, had, the, had the stable of stars if you could sneak one away here and there. Well, I heard, I mean, I heard Billy played on a lot of stuff. Incredibly. Yeah. Yeah, he was doing a hell of like that. Uh, what, what, what era of Temptations, you know? He played some, some real stuff. Oh, Shaky Ground and, yeah. Yeah. That was that the masterpiece album? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Glass House and all that. That's, that's Billy Eddie and all those guys, you know. But that's what is it, Jeffrey Bourne or you know, you know what I mean? Norman Whitfield take those cats and made some great songs with them. Jeffrey Bourne taking some whoever was the so, but George pulled them in. You know, because that was another thing too. No records. When I look at it, and I don't remember any Parliament or Funkadelic cut in Plainfield, New Jersey. And uh, so that was one of the things that hit me, struck me like, ah, this is the mecca. Even the funky guys had to come here and get it. You know. Um, so I, you know, I, I rep Detroit to wherever I go. You know, I learned it there. I learned it there, and I, you know, I'm totally with it. How 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 did you transition from, you know, being the gopher and doing that other stuff and being the jack of all trades to, you know, getting some musical credits? I don't know. I get. I think it's just about. Uh, 
actually, a lot of times I got no credit. You know, it's just like, oh, what about me? You know, but that that would be like a few albums in. It was like, you know, oh yeah, we remember. You know, we will remember next time. Because you got somebody. This is this is not something that's ran by like <clears throat> they were working contracts. You got the names on the contracts and the names they're trying to build. But there was a lot. I watched, uh, I give it to you like this. I watched uh, Return to Exile, Rolling Stones. And there's this one guy, and he's my age, and he was that, he, he said, he remember, he didn't realize that his dad was, was, was the smack dealer. He didn't know that part, or the coke dealer. He didn't know that part, but everything was going on in Keith Richards' house slash studio that to keep the flow, he just at age whatever, like you know, ten or eleven, you learn to roll joints because that keeps the the music and the people motivated. It's that kind of thing. It's like whatever, what whatever your goodies are, and hopefully, and I got to say, around me, I never like people were like had reputations for doing, but. It's, it wasn't wild. Like, I keep hearing people going, like, you know, it was drugs everywhere, and they were doing drugs everywhere. I think when it got to be drugs everywhere with P-Funk was when it got to too much cocaine in America. Because people came to us, like, as if this was, like, some peace offering. There you go, bro. That's for you. And, uh, you know, they could have brought the money that they paid for it, but most of them, it was just a thing off the, a chunk off of the thing that they had. And it was some kind of stupid recu rec recreation. Man, for me, I think like 70, 78, 79 was like, it, it felt as if R&B was being targeted with that shit. Everybody, like I saw, like my biggest heroes, like really, you know, they didn't do that like the year prior. Oh yeah, they were all doing it. I mean, because I've done over a hundred of these shows, you know, with the people that are still with us. Yeah, and um, I mean, it's just universal back then. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, and so that it, it, I <laughs> transitioned kind of like. I was a, a valet. And as you with the group for so long, you learn to set from the side of the stage. You learn, you know, like, like you're preparing like their outfits and you're preparing their outfits to work and stretch and do whatever, however they're going to coordinate at their rehearsals. You dig what I'm saying? Yeah, and here are the parts that, what makes a chord structure work correctly. And I sat, I probably sat through more hits watching the whole process as the as the gopher. Just prepared to like run to the store for you. Okay. I may miss out on that 20 minutes that it took for me to go get you a hamburger. But I have the rest of the day and this band is in there 24-7. This wasn't a this wasn't uh 
a nine to five thing. This was, you know, George. Now George was like a ten to six kind of guy. He's a, he was a ten to six, but then he made sure that the rest of these hours, while he's gone, he put he he had a thing about putting people that almost didn't even agree with each other on any musical level. He didn't really want you all to, you know what I mean? If, if you all say like, this is our formula and this should be the good way. He's just like, hmm. Cause it's, when I think about it, it is corny. It's that, you know, funk is this way. He likes to smear it with some kind of thing. And that's his people, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, that's what helped make it. Yeah, like my version of P Funk is kind of like on a psychedelic thing. And to get back to your question, it's just about a trust thing with George. You know, he worked a trust thing with, with me. I remember he sent me out with one of his groups, and it was like, this is when all there had been 30 new people all coming. And people were battling. People were posting themselves up to be in this organization. You're talking, about, you're talking about like that wave of maybe like Lige and Cherokee and um, all prior, those guys that came out with the brides. And prior to them, because they were actually handpicked. This is prior to all that. This is like people who were going to be because Parlette, it was going to be Parlette before it was the brides at first. All, everything was like an idea, but tracks were, they were being and then like I was a I was a the formulas, the formulas. There's some cats that have come that are on P Funk that have just had conviction with their instrument that have nothing to do with the touring band or Parliament Funkadelic itself, but they got the thing. George Clinton gets the thing. And what what, I remember being there for, being around, and then my deal was like, okay, I got a kind of song or idea in my head because I see these people going all kinds of ways. And uh, so I said to George, I said, well, you know, I got something. He goes, I said, I said, you know, but you haven't heard what, kind of heard what I do. He goes, I know what you do. I already know what you do. He goes, I wouldn't have you here if I didn't know what you did. So, but I don't need you to do that. See, all these people, they're after me like crabs in the barrel. This is what he said to me, honestly. He said, they're, they're on me like crabs in the barrel. And they're like clawing each other and bringing each other down. And I feel bad because I want to see what everybody's got. And I need you to help them get to me. You know, and I was like, okay, that doesn't say writer, singer, anything like that. That's he goes, you, you could AR. And then he started introducing me to people like Ron Dunbar. And he used to tell me about the what's my guy that was at uh, Motown that, you know, those cats, that's that was like a thing that he always had. And um, 
I listen to some people, and they say that the, that they like the you know the nineteen. They like the the guys in the picture. I remember going to Plainfield one time, man, and it was just like guys rolling up, rolling. They had their legs up, and they were rolling in their chairs. And then George is like, oh, yeah, that was the original guys. You know, and these guys, like, these aren't the guys on the picture. It was like, finally, I talked to Ray, and Ray was just like, man, George has been like that forever. This band has been all kinds of ways. I just learned to, you know, work with whatever the program is. I think of, like, George Clinton's version of Parliament Funkadelic has always been kind of done in in a way that, like, Warhol, you know, he wasn't as nasty. Like, he got a different thing. He's a lovable guy. He's a, he wasn't an, an arrogant guy. Like, but, but, like, Warhol's camp is, like, a lot of cats with a stroke. Whatever your stroke is, you got a thing, you walk in the door with the thing, okay, I got a concept. Let's see what you got. You know what I mean? And I learned that you can make great records if you utilize the energy in the room. So being a Parliament Funkadelic, I'm in the Parliament Funkadelic thing is kind of what I... We had a, back in the day, they had a thing. You're one of the ones. You hear the guy say, no, he's one of the ones. And it wasn't that, oh, he can play real good. It's like he got a thing and he knows this is the place where that he needs to be to get that thing off. Some people knew how to come in, get the thing off and go, Roger. Even though he did it a little rude, but that's a whole nother story. But... You know, I've seen great people come in in that room. I've seen people who that were, you know, they taught Stevie Wonder and they know how to walk in the session and put that thing down, like whatever it is. And uh, I remember uh, watching uh, the Motown thing, the Funk Brothers, have them cast that was in that thing. I was like, wow, they were the Funk Brothers. I didn't realize that because they were in the room any damn way. They were like at United. They were, those were Don Davis's boys, you know. You know they're gonna be arranging, but Don Davis, Don Davis, he did. Uh, you don't have to be a star to be in my show. Meryl um, McCoo, yeah. Uh, all the dramatics. He was the producer. Uh, Don Davis made hit records. Cheaper to keeper, okay. He probably produced everything that my father, who's from Selma, Alabama, loved. A catchy, catchy soul R&B. Yeah. Yeah. But but the mega ones. And, you know, a cat like that. A cat like that. Like, he was every bit of, like, the description of a Sir Nose. Like, cool, cool beans all day. Uh, if you wanted to, if you wanted to be a politician in the town, here's a guy that's prestigious to make the greatest records 
You had to know him. I, that was it as extreme on one side. And then it was George Clinton, who, if you wanted to be the, the new thing and let your hair down, we got this guy over here who who's knows how to smear it, talk atonally, tone, and it, they were two different formulas. So I, I learned with two different formulas and in, in stereo with in United. Yeah. yeah. You know? So with George, how much do you think of it was just innate to him with his personality and what he was born with versus what he learned, you know, going through the Motown? years and all his experience before PIFA. I think he brought it. You know what I mean? You know, like, first of all, if you ain't got it, you ain't really, like some people have, have this thing, I want to be a star. Now, George could have played that game, but actually, he don't want to be that. He wants a song. He Like, I've seen this guy, he'd write a song, Perfect example. One one I know he loves is kind of like Shadows on the Wall. It's just some, um, and I've seen, or Mathematics. That song's been cut so many times because he's like, and it, each time was great because it was based on what he said, but it's like, yeah, but uh -uh. so he was that kind of guy, like, like if you give him something that's like a cute little package, not not to be rude, but if you gave him something like, if you gave him something like basically the Ohio funk, which is like nice neat pop package, it's going it's great to kick you in the ass when they when it hits, it's gonna hit, and it's got a formula, but that formula is to me neat. He would say. Mm, cute, you know, and I, cause I like that, you know. I I dug Daz Band and all this. I thought all that stuff was really really good. But him, for him, it'd be like it's too. It's the same like the French guys. It's like I don't feel pain. So yeah, well, that's a genius right there. I mean, yeah. And then you know. Man, I just like producers, and I like producers. I like anybody doing their thing. So I'm, I'm, my influence is, is they don't influence me; they astonish me. And I, I like that. I'm glad to say I have a career where I get to sit around and see people in their thing, and I can't hate because I. If it was my spot, and when it's my spot, I'll get it. Or maybe it wasn't right for me. So I take what I get, and what I get is coming from a, coming from the north end of Detroit and being able to go all around the world and meet great musicians, eat great food, make new friends, based on just my love for people and music. <laughs> And what? and Parliament Funkadelic gives that to me. So, what, what, when, when did you first get on stage with the band? When did they first allow you to be part of the show? The end of end of seventy seven. So that early. Yeah. 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 
but I, it wasn't a place for me because I didn't have nothing. I didn't really have nothing. And uh, what I ended up doing was valeting for the brides who had it all, you know. And and they at that time the brides were like just a team, you know. They were like it was just the girls and like the people that I. Like, I miss people like uh, Tyrone Lampkin. Like, that was my first roommate on the road. And, um, oh, man. Well, he and Glenn, I mean, especially went young. Did you hear me? Wait, you said especially what? I said uh, Tyrone and Glenn especially went young. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, well. I'm from Detroit, and people die for no reason. Some people die for, you know, and that's, you know, we are all going to die. But, yeah, I, I, uh, I try to, like, keep that out of my mind and just, like, keep the fact that, like, ugh. <laughs> well, in the, in the 90s, though. That's, I mean, that's the thing. I'm going to tell you something. That's the thing now. People ask me this silly question. It's not even a silly question, but I think silly questions are, are great questions. Everybody asks a silly question. Silly question is like, do you have any advice for me? And I'm a new musician for... Uh, and I go, you better mean it. And if you don't mean it, either just... Get out now, you know, really get out. Because how about I always say to people that like, get you get in it, that part is easy. Stand in it, there's the there's the job. And how about maintaining it because you're in demand? But don't mess around and get a damn hit. That everybody's gonna know you for that hit. Now you're now you're you're married to a fan base that's probably not even born yet, but they're gonna be knowing you as that song. And are you ready to wake up every day and be that? And if you're not ready for that shit, then drop out and be, and be a regular musician. You know, go run around and play where you can play. I mean. I would, George's job, I look at it on the data, it's like, how do you do that, dude? For real. How do you do that and why do you do that? Why do you make yourself ready for these people every single day of your life? You got to be, you know, at one point it was just like, like, dude, just take the hair off. Take the <laughs> hair off. You know, but he was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that he wanted the hair, but the industry needed him to have rating points at some point. And so they don't actually remember a guy for his music to, unless they see him in the thing. So now the 80s had him put on the hair. I remember in the 70s when he just, the, the hair was a concept, but the hair was on hair racks. He could grab anyone. Now he's got blonde hair, you know, and he could. When when the show is over, 
he would just toss the thing. She could be incognito, yeah. And walk out the place with the audience, right in the audience. Like nobody knew who they'd just been looking at, walk right through. And when the first time I saw uh, Funkadelic, that was the, the beautiful part was that this guy who had been sitting there in like a cool ass suit slithered up after this band and played this one groove forever. Oh, another thing that, that I dug, because I knew I wasn't crazy, and to see Ron Bykowski standing there, I was like, it's confirmed, okay? It's a zebra band, and that's why we rock and roll, you know? That's, that was beautiful for me. It was like, just to have him there, it was like, I, I've been a Ron Bykowski fan from the very top. Like, I had to learn who Eddie was. That's how bad I am. I had to learn who Eddie was. I, and Eddie had a prettier voice than everybody. He had to sing, out-sing everybody. And he could outplay everybody in in his way. But the kind, kind of stuff that I feedback Cosmic Slime, you know, I saw him hold that like at Kobo, and I was just like, that guy's lit, like kneeling at his amp. Wow, that's so cool. And he's a long haired guy, and he looks like Kiss, but there was no Kiss yet. And he looks like that, you know what I mean? I was like, I, I, never, that's got to, I never got to see him. I came in when Hampton first started rising, and so yeah. he was my favorite guitar player. Right. You know, yeah, I like Mike. I, I was a, I honestly, I, I'm like a, me and Michael the same age, and I like what Mike does on the metal thing. I like what Mike, he's a, he's that guy, but Gary Scheider is hands down for me. The tastiest, don't know very many notes. You know, you know that blues guy. That really got the thing. Like people say Glenn could sing better than everybody. Glenn was no Gary Scheider. I'm sorry, now I don't I'll argue with it with the all of them on that one. It wasn't no Gary Scheider. You know. Garrett, Garrett is good, but Garrett's no Gary Scheider. Well, yeah. And, and he got little brothers that are that are pretty close to a Gary Scheider, but they're not a Gary Scheider when it comes to like I watch. Like on the creative tip, that was the most enthusiasm, enthusiastic character I knew when it comes to making records. And he could make any piece of shit track work because he had a magic. And some, and it wasn't that he came with it; he just knew how to bring, it, you know, make everybody bring it. Like, like he was. If he heard a tone that he needed to work, he would grab you. Like, he didn't know you. He could hear, but he hear you talking, and he said, come over here and sing this. And he said, oh, no, sing this. Ah, you can do it. Do it right there. Because by the time he puts you there, he's going to put something around it that even makes you, like, the person that's getting me today, and I'm saying it on your show, and so my kid's going to beat my ass if he sees this. Jacob Collier, 
You hear the Jacob Collier? Mm-hmm. Everybody look up Jacob Collier. He has a voice that almost a delivery that feels like Mel Torme, kind of Mel, Mel. Sounds like Mel Torme, but the amount of music in his system, dude. Gary Scheider was like that. They're like off the grid for, like they can make, they can make music out of anything. George Clinton is that because he's he doesn't come with the rules. That's what makes George great. Like I've seen him like lean on a flat note, like it's the greatest thing. He goes ah, but when you finally when he goes voila. That flat note is the most important note in the thing. You dig what I'm saying? That it's kind of like you listen to P Funk. There's a lot of tonal things going on. That most people will say, "Let's stop. We didn't do it correctly." And then he's going to like, "No, because that's the thing." He's, he's always making a thing. So slides like that too. You know, they made things. I had the honor of like being in his area and being in Georgia's area and being in everybody that. I respect as a child I've been kind of like in the area and then P-Funk's brought that to me 